Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Real Christian love is saying, I am willing to put other people's interests before my own, and I really do care. Do you see that envy is always focused on self and love is always focused on them? You gotta take this eyeball of interest and turn it and say, I care about them. When someone gets the promotion you wanted, takes the trip you've been dreaming about, or just seems to have advantages that you don't have, how do you respond? Are you happy for them, or do you resent their success? Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains how your response in these situations impacts your spiritual well-being. I'm Dave Drury. Glad you could join us for the conclusion of a message about the problem of envy called God's Gracious Solutions. And now here's Pastor Mike. You need to love in a Christian way, in a godly way, in a Christ-like way. And if you were consciously to deploy Christian love, genuine Christian love to someone that I am tempted to envy, you would neutralize that problem. You're going to beat envy to the punch. Envy wants to cause all kinds of damage and corrosive effects in your Christian life. If you could beat that, you see the the desire growing, you see this interest of wanting stuff that they have, you see this growing craving about the advantages that they have, and now I'm starting to resent. Before you start resenting, say, I have to love this person. Number two, you need to deploy genuine Christian love. Let's talk about how to do that. What does it look like? Philippians chapter two. And the goal is going to look like this. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Instead, humility. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. I would like you to have those things because I love you. I'd like you to have blessing because I love you. I'd like you to have advantages because I love you. I'd like you to be healthier than me because I love you. I'd like you to be more beautiful, more handsome than me because I love you. I'd like you to have the advantages I never had. I can think that way about my children. I need to think that way about the people in my life everywhere. Here's another famous verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a little statement, and almost as you're reading it and you're getting all these great truths, you almost lose it in the midst of quoting the passage. But it says, we no longer consider anyone according to the flesh, even though we once considered Christ according to the flesh, but we regard him thus no longer, right? What? What What are you talking about? Paul would make a point throughout 1 Corinthians that he was not going to care about people's externals, who they were, didn't show any favoritism. He saw everyone as someone in need of Christ. He saw everyone as someone made in the image of God. And so if I no longer, no longer in any way regard anyone according to fleshly standards, which is what that verse is saying, then it doesn't matter. Rich or poor, beautiful, ugly, thin or fat, doesn't matter if they are articulate or they can barely speak. It doesn't matter what they're running or what kind of job they don't have. It doesn't matter. I view everyone just as people made in the image of God and in need of Christ. I look at non-Christians that way. I look at celebrities that way. I look at sports figures that way. I look at the guy on the street that way. That's the way I ought to be looking at people. That's the goal. I don't regard anybody according to the flesh anymore. I regard them as people that need Christ. I regard everyone as people that need to hear Christ. And the point is, I'll do all things for all men. I'll do by all means, do everything I possibly can that they might be one to Christ. That's what I want. 
I become all things to all men that I might by all means win some. This is the message to the Corinthians. And it's stuck there as a verse that reminds me that's what love is, even to non-Christians. Do I prioritize my love for Christians? Of course I do. Right? Galatians chapter 6, I, I, I do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. As Peter said, 1 Peter 2, I love the brothers, but it starts with honor all men. Fear the king. So I want to honor everyone. I want to love everyone. It's a different kind of love, obviously, in the concentric circles of my commitments, my covenants, and my life. But I can even stop envying and coveting the lives and possessions and privileges of non-Christians because I've learned to love them. That's the goal. Looking out for the interests of others. I know I'm in the middle of reading this passage. Have this mind among yourselves, verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And there's the, the head nod to regeneration. If I'm a Christian, I, I can have this mind. I got the spirit of God dwelling in me who's wanting this mindset. This is mine in Christ. If I could just love Christ the most, if I could love the triune God at the top of my cravings list, right? this is what he's going to instill in me. And that is verse four, that I'm not going to look out for my own interests. I'm going to look out for the interests of others. Do I need to feed myself today? Yes. Do I need to pay the rent? Sure. But I'm not only going to look out for my own interests to get by, I'm going to look out for the interests of other people because Christ had that mind. Who, let's talk about Christ, verse 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I'm willing to give that up. I can give up stuff because I love other people. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. How bad was that? Pretty bad, but it gets worse. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the Father's will for the good of others. Give his life as a ransom for many. How did he die? How was the ransom secured? To the point of death, even death on a cross. Wasn't an execution. Didn't get his head lopped off by a sword. He hung naked on a tree and suffocated all afternoon because he was willing to put your interest above his own. And then he turns and he says, I know you've heard it said, you should love each other as you love yourself. I got a new commandment for you. A new commandment I give to you, John 13, that you love each other just like I have loved you. And that's different. That's why 1 John says, there's a new commandment I give you. Well, it was an old commandment. It was from the beginning because I know it's about loving each other. But it's a new commandment in him, and I'm giving it to you. You need to put other people's interests above your own, not just your interests and their interests. You equate them, right? It's not just the golden rule of doing to others, you have them do unto you. No, this is different. This is like you're willing to empty yourself and see them succeed, and you don't. Do you see why this sermon is never going to preach in a non-Christian context? That's biblical love. I'm going to be a doormat. I'm just telling you, you're laying down your lives for your friends. Jesus laid down his life for his enemy. His enemies, Romans chapter 5. He died, not just for his friends, but for his enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The point is, real Christian love is saying, I am willing to put other people's interests before my own, and I really do care. It doesn't matter if I got moved into some corner of some part of my social strata, or if I had some kind of issue go wrong in my life, or if I have to lose the promotion, or if I don't get that place at that banquet or that party, or I don't get invited to that thing, it doesn't matter what deteriorates in my life, because really, I love those people. Do you see that envy is always focused on self, and love is always focused on them? That's the point. You've got to take this eyeball of interest and turn it and say, I care about them. Christ cared about them. He was suffering in the garden and praying, and he was praying for them. Did it mean he didn't try and correct wrongdoing? Of course he did. Peter, James, and John were falling asleep. Hey, wake up. Can't you even stay awake and pray with me? But he was still willing to give of himself 
so that he could love them. And all I'm saying is if you truly love someone, you will not envy their privileges or their opportunities. Deploy genuine Christian love. I know there's a lot to that, but there's one particular expression of Christian love that is very hard, but it's the two in the one-two punch. You see the fist and the arm going back. You see your cravings about to strike you with envy and all the bad that comes with it. Punch number one, right? Here it is. I'm going to purposely deploy more Christian love in your direction. I have to think and pray that God would give me a greater love. I will command that I will love this person because this is who I am in Christ. I need to crave the mind of Christ so that I can love them and set my interests aside. When the benefactors and the kings of the Gentiles are worried about their strata and where they are in relation to other people, not so among you. Who who among you is greater? The one that reclines at the table or the one who serves? Oh, wait a minute. I'm the king of the universe. I'm the one serving you. I'm cleaning out The dirt between your toes. I want you to learn that that's what love is all about. Selfless, servant love. And I'm not going to envy advantages and privileges and blessings you have. Here's the two, though. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. It's printed on your worksheet, the reference at least. Let's look at it. It's actually just one, two, three, four, five words. 15a. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice with those who rejoice. Doesn't sound complicated. Do you understand this is it? This is it. I feel cravings in my life. I police them. I choose to love the people I'm tempted to envy. And now I'm choosing to rejoice with those who rejoice. We think that's the easy part of verse 15 because we selectively do it with our best friends and our children when they hit home runs. But we don't consistently do this. Matter of fact, we think the hard part is weeping with those who weep. It's much easier for me to find someone I have very little regard for. In my heart of sin, I have very little. Matter of fact, you irritate me. But I just found out you were in this terrible accident on the way home from church. Am I willing to mess up my afternoon to go make a call at the hospital and love on the family and deal with all the... Of course, of course. Am I ready to take whatever fun afternoon I might have had planned to weep with those who weep? What if someone's life was lost in that accident? Would I be willing to engage in their pain? Of course I would. Matter of fact, that would be easier for me than taking someone that's a peer of mine who I am tempted to envy because I'm craving the things that they have and they just got more of what I want. And I find that news. And for me to write a sincere congratulatory letter to call them up and say, I'm so genuinely happy for what just happened to you. I'm telling you, that one's harder. It's harder if there's any residual echo of envy in your heart. Number three, you need to deliberately celebrate others' blessings. And I mean that as an active verb, celebrate it. You need to deliberately celebrate others' blessings, particularly those that you're tempted to envy. You need to celebrate. You need to wipe the scowl off your face. You need to start thinking about how good it is that these things happen to them. That this guy that I'm envious of, this gal that I want what she has, I'm going to celebrate. Think of, the, think of the gal who is pining away because of the pain of infertility. She gets another baby shower invitation. How hard is that? I mean, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of examples of that, even in our own church. We lived through it. We didn't have our first kid till we were 10 years married. We know what it's like to have all of our peers have kids and us not, and we're trying, and we're going to doctors. How hard is that? Well, it really comes down to whether or not I love the people that are now having the news that we want, which is the celebration of a new life. Can I go to another baby shower and truly, genuinely celebrate? 
Well, it depends on how much I'm envying them. It really depends on how much I love them. It depends on whether I'm separating the cravings of my life into proper cravings and improper cravings. And if I'm saying, wait a minute, this is an improper craving for me to want what they have because right now God has without a doubt clearly by the, by the laws of physics made it clear that we're not having a, a kid this month. But they are. They're going to celebrate this baby. I'm just saying, how hard is that? Well, well, it's really hard, but that's what we're called to do. Well, it sounds too hard. Well, have you looked at the context of Romans chapter 12? Must be easier commands in here somewhere. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Oh, that sounds hard. Not really, you don't really mean bless them. You mean that sarcastically, right? No, 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 bless and do not curse them. Do you understand it's the same theme? Why is it that I can't rejoice with those who rejoice? Because they've been blessed, something good has happened to them. Why can't I rejoice, sincerely rejoice with them? Why is it that the words, I'm happy for you, come out of my mouth more as a sarcastic statement than they do a genuine statement? Think about it. I'm happy for you. I'm really happy for you. Why? Because it's hard for me to take my emotions and set them aside and say, you know what, I am going to marshal the members of my body and all of their cravings. I'm going to do the thing that I'm called to do, just like it says in Psalm 103, when David is concerned about his worship, he's saying, I'm not worshiping like I should. So he starts talking to himself. Psalm 103.1, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I'm talking to you, soul. You hear me? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, by the way, do you know the verse I'm quoting? Do you know verse two? It says again, bless the Lord on my soul and forget not any of his benefits. I'll bet you've tried to apply Psalm 103 if you've been around the block in the Christian life a few times, have you not? And you say, oh yeah, you're right. God's been good to me. I need to take those benefits and blessings that God has done in my life. You're right. I need to tell my soul to rejoice. So here I go. I'm going to step up and obey Psalm 103 verses one and two. And I'm going to tell my soul, hey soul, don't forget the benefits that God, don't forget the blessings. Could you just celebrate those? I'm going to, God, thank you're right. I'm thankful for my home. I'm thankful that I'm not out on the street. I'm thankful that I'm gainfully employed. I don't have the job that I want, but I thank you for these things. These are benefits and blessings and I thank you for them. I'm just saying do the same exact thing. You need to start talking to your soul, but do it for other people. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying the benefits and blessings to the people that you're tempted to envy, that you're bitter and resent, I'm saying start to tell your soul to bless the Lord for that, to celebrate that, to thank God. God, I'm thankful that my sister in Christ got pregnant and we can't. It's okay. I'm not thinking about us. I'm putting their interests before ours. I'm going to celebrate that because I love them. It might even fuel my celebration a little bit more if I can just get myself out of the equation to think of the fact that I know what it's like to want this and have it, and you know what, I can celebrate this. I've wanted a raise, and he got it. I wanted a house we can't get in one, can't afford it. You just found a house, only cost you $3,000 a month? How's that pie? And then you go back with bitterness. I'm just saying all of those things you need to say, Psalm 103, 1 and 2, not just forget not all your benefits, and he starts listing his own benefits. How about the benefits of others? Do you think Saul could have ever prayed that prayer for David's advances? No, of course not. It's not like Cain went home from the worship service saying, God, I just am so thankful my brother had such a favorable response from you today. No, it almost sounds sarcastic coming out of my mouth because in reality, he's not going to say that. That is as if his heart is bound up with the corrosive sin of envy. But if he could work it, he could say, God, this is what I need to do. I need to deliberately celebrate others' blessings. It really gets back to this, Matthew chapter 20. It's the opening illustration that we read from Christ about the vineyard and the workers and the day laborers and 
goes out into the marketplace. He finds them to send them into his vineyard to work. You know the story. They work for 12 hours. He starts the day with, hey, if you work for the full day, I will give you a denarius. That's a fair deal. That's a square deal. That's a good way to do it. A full day's labor for a full day's pay. And they said, sure. So they go into the field. They work all day. He goes back, and I told you the story, and you know it. I don't mean to be redundant, but they go back middle of the morning, go middle of the day, middle of the afternoon, and then at the 11th hour, the sun is starting to go over the hills. He finds some laborers. He goes, why aren't you working? Well, we haven't had a job. We've been sitting here all day trying to find a job. We can't find a job. He says, we'll go into my field. They work for one hour. Foreman gets called. They all line up. Crickets are starting to chirp. Sun is going down over the hill. Jesus says, let's pay the guys that got here an hour ago first. He gives them a denarius at a full day's wage. And you know how it goes. The guys at the end of the line, Jesus said, they start thinking to themselves, wow, what are we going to get? Well, wait a minute. God, in this story, God, the master, has already agreed to give you what he's agreed to give you. And you worked, and he paid you, and it's exactly right. When he gets down to you, he gets and they're upset. They grumbled. Well, wait a minute. What changed that? Nothing changed that. Nothing changed that, but someone else got more than you got. Had you gone home that night to your wife and you lay down in bed and said, and she said, how did your day go? And you said, you know, I worked all day long, but I got a denarius. It was a fair deal. I'm so grateful I got hired because there were guys in the marketplace that didn't get hired. You would have been grateful, but you're not grateful. You go home saying, can you believe what happened? That, that landowner paid the guy who worked one hour the same as me. Do you know how the passage ends? Here's how it ends. With the master saying, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? You know what belongs to God? Money, riches, jobs, infants, babies in your womb. God, God, all belongs to God. And if God wants to bless someone with something he hasn't blessed you with, is God not allowed to give his blessings out however he wants? Is he not a sovereign God? Can he not do what he wants? Can he give someone more beauty, more bronze, or more brains than you? Can he not? Do you have to be the prettiest one on the planet? No, you can't. Here's the difference between non-Christians. Non-Christians, Titus chapter 3, verse 3, they're always engaged in rivalry and envying each other and strife. Why? Because all they see is it's me and it's you. It's me and it's you. It's me and it's you. Here's what Christians have got to understand. There's a third party involved. It's a James 1 party the giver of all good gifts and everything you have that you've ever enjoyed comes down from the Father with whom there's no shifting shadow. That God has given blessings to people and he gives one man, to quote 1 Corinthians 7, 7, one gift and he gives another man another kind of gift. And he stands back and says, I'm free to do whatever I want to with the blessings I, I bestow. And you're sitting there going, in your grumbling, resentful heart, why does she get that and I don't? And the Bible says you're missing out on the third party in all this, which is the most important party, and that is you have to believe in the thing that you say you believe when you're singing about it, when it relates to the blessing you just got, but you can't sing about it with the blessing that he's given to someone else because really it's about you. That's not what love is. Love should be able to say, you have advantages I don't have, that group has advantages I don't have, that group, that, that segment, that, that person, that office, that industry, whatever it is, they're blessed more than I am. Yep, well, they are. Keep your nose to the grindstone. Do what God has called you to do. Be a good steward in whatever God has given you. Don't worry about what he's given others because he is allowed to do whatever he chooses to do with the good things that belong to him. Or do you begrudge me because of my generosity? 
There are people that are better than you in your job. There are people that are better than you in this church, people that look better, that do better, that are smarter, that are more talented. You have got to stop. If you say you believe in a sovereign God who doles out wisdom, he doles out beauty, he doles out talent, he doles out opportunities, he gives people favor, what does he tell Cain? Just keep, go back, do good, deal with it. Deal with it and all will be fine. But instead, there's sin crouching at the door and it wants to pull a fist back and smack you in the face. You should be celebrating the favor that your brother found. Jack Dempsey retired from boxing. And as the war was ramping up in the 1940s, they enlisted him into the uh, Coast Guard. And since he was a guy who was known for beating people up, they put him in charge of training people how to do hand-to-hand combat. And he wrote a book. You can tell he's a boxer and not an author. The title was called How to Fight Tough. How to Fight Tough. Well, he sold more books than me, I'm sure, because I bought it and read it. And he's trying to train people in the service to do hand-to-hand combat. It's actually a pretty good book. I've learned a few things. You want to pick a fight with me? I got a few moves I didn't have before after reading Jack Dempsey's book. Of course, his famous statement His adage about fighting is in there, and the best defense is a good offense. Matter of fact, in that section, I wrote down what he said. Beating the enemy to the punch, this is page 52. Beating the enemy to the punch is literally the definition of defense. I mean, that's the whole point in his mind. I'm going to beat him to the punch. Three words, by the way, start the book. If you get this book, buy it on Amazon. And don't blame me for it. I'm not telling you to buy it. I wasted my eight bucks. Um, Here are the first opening three words. Softness is suicide. (laughs) He's trying to harden the troops to be able to fight. Softness is suicide. Well, in a very soft Christian culture, I want to remind you that's true when it comes to you putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Uh, You need to go to war with envy. And if you don't recognize it, and if you don't start throwing the first punch, which is not with bombs, and it's not negative, and it's not vindictive, and it's not violent, it's about you loving people the way Christ did, and it's about you celebrating the blessings that God has given. Those is so simple, but such a challenge, and I hope that it would be so entrenched in your thinking that it becomes a pattern of your fighting sin. You're listening to Focal Point and a message from Pastor Mike Fabares called God's Gracious Solutions. You'll hear more from Pastor Mike in just a moment. But first, I want to remind you that if you want to listen to any of the previous messages in this series, simply go to focalpointradio.org and click on the current series or download the Focal Point app to listen anytime. Well, Pastor Mike, the Internet and social media are great tools, but we all know they have a dark side as well. Yeah, you can be scrolling through those posts on social media and you end up going away feeling discontent, partly because we're looking at all kinds of things that are better than what we have, better houses, better lives. We start feeding that destructive disease called envy. And the problem is most of us don't even recognize it. I've written this book, Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had, so that we can identify it. We can start to correct this pervasive and corrosive sin. This book's going to look at some of the instances of envy in the scripture, going to help us analyze and expose the problem that's causing harm in our lives. I wrote this book so that you wouldn't let envy lead you to despair. Instead, I want you to know how our kind and gracious Heavenly Father calls us to identify and assault this enemy. Then we can turn all of those feelings into the kind of satisfaction and contentment that God designed for the Christian life. 
Thanks, Mike. Get a copy of Pastor Mike's brand new book, Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had, when you make a generous donation to Focal Point today. Focal Point is listener-supported, and we rely solely on our friends and on God to sustain this ministry. Now, you can support this program with a financial gift by calling 888-320-5885 or by going to focalpointradio.org. We'll send you Pastor Mike's latest book as our way of saying thanks. Again, that's 888-320-5885 or focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow to hear the last message in this series called Getting Serious About the Counterattack. That's Tuesday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.